Morning, everyone. It is such a privilege to be together this morning. There's two quick notices that I wanted to let you know about before we dive into the message. The first one is the inaugural men's monthly prayer. It is happening next Tuesday, 5.30 a.m. So 5.30 to 6.30, there's going to be time for a quick bit of coffee. And then we are going to pray and we're going to pray up a storm. This is not going to be a quiet, calm, seated prayer time. Uh, this is going to be a bit of singing. It's going to be praying and really trusting that God's going to move um, in our lives personally, in the lives of our families, in our businesses and beyond. So I really want to encourage you to be there 5.30 to 6.30 next Tuesday. Then the second one is we're coming up to Orphan Sunday, which is on the 8th of November. And obviously we can't do as much as we would do usually in terms of the digital time that we're in, but we care deeply about the orphan crisis in Zimbabwe. And we want to be a part of bringing that change and that support to people in need and people who are vulnerable in Zim. And so we're going to be sharing more things next week about it and how you can be involved in many different ways. We obviously with Rinurara are involved, but we know there's so much more we can be doing. So stay tuned for that. Uh, we as Harvest want to be part of the change that God wants to do in this nation in that area. So I would love to pray before we dive into the preach, which has an interesting title today. It is titled Barns, Fools, Wildflowers and Heavenly Money Bags. So stay tuned uh, for that, but let us pray before we get going. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for this opportunity to dive into your word. Thank you that all scripture is breathed by you. Thank you that it is useful to us. Thank you that it is your word. And as we look at it today, as we ask you to speak to us individually today, Thank you that you are with us wherever we are, meeting together in small groups, uh, by ourselves, um, at home, or, or wherever we are tuning in. I want to thank you that you're here and you're present with us. Heavenly Father, you want to speak. And so we want to hand this time over to you and say, do your work. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So Zimbabwe is famous for a few things. We have a natural wonder of the world, Victoria Falls, and Thousands and thousands of people before Corona came every year to see it. And if you're a Zimbabwean and you've never seen it or you've seen it a long time ago, this is your time. You get to experience Victoria Falls with no tourists. Probably the best time you'll ever get to go. So if you haven't been yet, now is your opportunity. But we have that. We're known for incredible climate, uh, amazing wildlife, some of the happiest people uh, in the world. There's many great things that we're known for as Zimbabwe. We're also known to be the second best for at least two things. And I'm actually quite frustrated that we are not the best, but we're the second best for these two things. Firstly, for having the second highest inflation rate ever in known history, and for having the second highest banknote denomination ever in history, the $100 trillion note. I'm kind of frustrated that we aren't the first, but anyway, we'll be in the history books for that as the second highest of those two things. Now, for those of you who lived during those times, you, you may want to have uh, forgotten them or you may put them to your side of your mind. It wasn't so fun. Sure, there were some people who made extraordinary amounts of money and did very well in the process, but not for the majority. On the whole, it was tough. People's businesses either shut down or went through very, very big difficulties. People's savings went to nothing. There's countless stories of pensioners who lost everything 
who had their money that they'd saved up for years and years and years and either didn't know how to get it out or didn't know what to do. And in a matter of months, it became absolutely worthless. All happened as the currency plummeted. And millions, let's not forget about the millions of collective hours wasted, waiting in queues to get petrol, waiting in queues to get bread, waiting in queues to get money, waiting in queues to get anything. Now, during that time, for some of it, I uh, set up a coffee shop with my dad. Probably not the wisest thing to do in that time, but it was fun anyway. And I remember every single morning us reprinting out and changing the price list. I'd quickly go and hunt through different coffee shops around town. I would quickly head to the shops, work it out. What do we need to put it up by? And it literally every single day, and there was a big jump on Mondays after the weekend, but every single day we had to change prices during that hyperinflation time. But... Can I honestly say that this period was one of the greatest pictures the Lord could give us of something far more significant? We may not have wanted to go through that process, and I don't think any of us would want to go through it again, but one of the greatest pictures He could have given us of something more significant. Because what happened to many people's savings in that time, what happened to many of our savings and and the loss that was suffered during that time is exactly what will happen to our earthly possessions and savings when we walk into eternity. Everything that happened to pe- the loss that was suffered in that hyperinflation time is exactly what will happen to each of us, to every single one of us when it comes to our earthly possessions and savings when we walk through the door into eternity. And I trust as we go through today's passage, which I really believe God put on my heart for us as a church over the past few weeks, as we go through it today, I trust that what we've been through as a country, what we've been through individually and the lessons God has tried to teach us will stand clearer in our minds than ever before. Because the thing is, our physical resources and possessions can affect us greatly and do affect us greatly, whether we believe to have ourselves to have much or to have little. And just to be clear, if any of us tuning in today have a phone, eat two or three meals a day, have internet, live in some level of suburbia, whether we own or rent a house, have a vehicle um, and a few other luxury items, then we are in the top wealth brackets of the world collectively. And I think that would probably be the case for everyone watching this today. We need to consider ourselves in the wealthy bracket, regardless of what we don't have. But our possessions can become an idol in our lives so very easily. And for this reason, Jesus spoke about it a huge amount. See, God knows our hearts more than we ever will. And so he spoke about it a huge amount and we need to grapple with it. Jesus was never someone to hold back the punches. And in this passage, we're going to take a few loving blows. I really believe that each of us is going to take some loving blows from our heavenly father. So be ready for those. If you have your Bible, I would love you to turn to Luke chapter 12. We're going to pick up the story from 13. Uh, some of your Bibles may have it titled as the parable of the rich fool, but we're going we're gonna to read from there. And to give you a little bit of, uh, of the last little bit that's happened in the run up to it. So Jesus has been sharing with a large crowd on a number of different things. He has spoken to the crowd about being aware of the religious leaders teaching. So he said, listen, you need to be careful because a lot of this teaching that's coming from the Pharisees is designed to control you. It's designed to line their pockets. It, it doesn't actually show you who God is. So he's been on a section for that. Then he's moved on to a section where he challenges people that the only person to really fear 
and have a healthy fear of is God. He's the only one who controls life and death. And so he's the only one we should actually really have a healthy reverence and fear for. And then he's spoken about what it means to stand up for Jesus, to, to make a stand for him in life. So, so that's a bit of context of where he's been. Now, often my lovely wife, Sarah, will say to me, Craig, where did that comment come from that has just come out of your mouth? We've been talking about this. Maybe we've been talking about our kids' school or maybe we've been talking about something to get repaired with the car or a holiday to go on. And I will come up with a comment that has absolutely nothing to do with any line of the conversation we've been having. And she'll just say, I just don't understand. Where has that comment come from? To be honest, half the time, I don't know where it's come from either. It just happens to pop into my mind and that's a bit how my mind works. Anyway, what happens next in the story is exactly like sometimes what can happen with me or, or a number of us who struggle with this, who bring up comments that are not in line with the conversation at all. In the midst of all these truths, a rather strange question is asked of Jesus. So Luke 12 verse 13, he's just said all of this and then someone from the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. You can imagine he's been talking on different things. A guy comes up probably with his brother because he's saying, tell him to divide his inheritance with me. But this has nothing to do with anything Jesus has been saying. It's almost like these two guys were there, but not really there. Their minds were elsewhere and he comes forward and in the midst of everything Jesus is saying, he says, hey, listen, Jesus, I want you to tell my brother over here to divide the inheritance fairly with me. This person is clearly feeling unfairly treated when it comes to money and he wants Jesus to side with him. Question, how often do we just want Jesus to sort out our lives for us, to solve our problems and give us the easy life? Almost like a bit of a genie, but where it's like, Jesus, hey, I've got this issue, you sort it out, fix the problem for me. Friends, he is so much more than that. We're gonna see that in the passage as we go. Look at his answer, friend. I love how kind God is, in spite of people being off the market, asking rather strange questions compared to what he's trying to share about. He is so patient and so kind. So verse 14, he says, friend, who appointed me a judge or arbitrator over you? You see, rabbis in those days, religious leaders were often used to solve domestic disputes. But he's clearly saying to them, listen, you may see me in this light. You may see me in that role, but actually my mission is different. What I am here for and why I'm here is of far greater importance and value. You need to tune into what I'm saying rather than worrying about these domestic disputes right now. So he first says that. Then verse 15. He then told them, watch out and be on your guard against all greed because one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. Being God, Jesus could see straight through the question. He could see into the person asking the question, their heart, and he could see the motive behind their question. You see, he always knows exactly what's going on with our requests. We may be able to hide it from others, but God knows exactly what's happening in our heart. And even when we pray and when we talk to him, he knows the real motive. So we must just be real with him and he would rather it like that. So he'll get straight to the point. When it came to these men, similar to the rich man's story that's found in Mark 10, the issue was greed. You see, wealth was their focus and greed was their focus. And so that's why he says, and he's sort of saying it to all the thousands there, he says, watch out and be on guard against all greed. 
And friends, these are massive things to be aware of when it comes to wealth and massive things for us to be aware of and on our guard against. Is it wrong to be wealthy? No, not at all. And in fact, as I said earlier, everyone, all of us listening to this, we may not consider ourselves wealthy, but in terms of the world, we probably are very wealthy. But there's some serious dangers we need to watch out for when it comes down to wealth. I mean, consider Jesus talking about it being harder for a camel, a large animal, to get through the eye of a needle, impossible, when it comes to um, a rich person entering the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. We need to take note of that. He's saying if you are wealthy, it is very difficult for you to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's very difficult. So we need to be aware of why it's difficult. That's how dangerous Jesus thinks wealth can be when it comes to our faith in him. What are some of the dangers? Well, wealth can bring about a complacency or a lack of interest in kingdom work for Christ. It can create a sense of being self-sufficient where we do kind of need God, but also not really because we have enough to manage on our own, but more than enough, so we don't really need Him. It can also make us hold tightly to the great things we have, the great possessions we have, or it can make us look to people who have things that we don't have, and it can make us really covet and really want what they have, keeping up with the Joneses as the saying goes. We can so easily love and idolize our possessions and treat them more valuable than Christ. So when Jesus says, watch out and be on your guard, he means it. And of all the challenges that we can look at and challenges in scripture, I really pray today that you and I would be on guard, would watch out for greed when it comes to the things that we have. Because he's not just talking to those two men, he's talking to all of us. Wealth is a tool to be used for God's kingdom. I have heard someone once say, a preacher once said that, that our resources lay the pipeline for God's gospel waters to flow. And that's so true. Our, our wealth and our resources have an immense role to play in the advance of God's kingdom. So often they get the gospel to places where it couldn't usually go before. And Jesus then goes on and he says, because one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. He's talking to these two men. He's saying, guys, you're squabbling over this wealth. But you've got to know that true life is not found in the things that you possess. In John 14 verse 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And if we try to find life, what we possess, the comforts that we have, and, and what we have stored in our bank accounts, we never will. But so often we try. Sometimes I try. We try to do that on our own. And then he goes a bit deeper. He tells them this parable. He says, a rich man's land was very productive. He thought to himself, what should I do since I don't have anywhere to store my crops? I'll do this, he said. I'll tear down my bonds and I will build bigger bonds and store all my grain and all my goods there. Then I'll say to myself, you have many goods stored up for many years. Take it easy, eat, drink and enjoy yourself. A few things to notice here. This man was clearly a great businessman and land owner. He was expanding, he was growing his investments, he was good at what he did, and he knew it. Why do I say he knew it? Well, if you look at that passage, there's a lot of I's in the passage. I did this, I'll do this, I'll do this. So he was obviously a self-made man, he was driven, and there was no doubt an element of him knowing that he had what it took, and he was doing a lot of the building. He was good at what he did, and he knew it. 
what would we do if it was sort of this day and age now? How would I sort of describe it? Well, I would say it's sort of like someone saying, I need to make space for all of my growth. I need to expand my business empire. I need a larger home. I need more garage, garage space to hold more vehicles. I need investments in many places. I need homes in different countries here, maybe a few for security. And then I also need in different places as well. Bottom line, I need to grow, grow, grow. I need to be successful, successful, successful. That was kind of where this man was at when it came to his life. And then what was the final focus for this rich man? Well, it says in verse 19, then I'll say to myself, you have many goods stored up for many years. Take it easy, eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. So this was the man's final focus, right? This is what he was fixated on as the fruit of his labor. Early retirement, you could possibly say. And isn't that the focus of society today? To work hard, or ideally to just inherit from a rich mom and dad, that would be even better. To make money, to expand material possessions, upgrade upon upgrade, and then once you get to a certain level, to live out the rest of your life, eating out, hotel staying, globe trotting, living a life of luxury and ease until death. Sure, there's some room for philanthropy here and there. Of course, there's room to help out and you know, do a little bit of, of mercy, help to people here and there. But the general focus is to live for myself. Of course, my immediate family need to keep them safe and need to keep them looked after and to live in happiness for the days of my life. For almost all of society, this is the ultimate strategy. I don't think you'll find anyone saying anything else. This is the crowning glory of life. Now, is it possible? Is it possible that could be the focus of many Christ followers? Is it possible that whether we have plenty or little, our primary focus for us deep within our hearts could actually be the same as this rich man that we read about? Sure, we may hide it with some spiritual talk. Sure, we may hide it with some of our conversation. But if pushed by Christ, would we need to admit that we're very similar to the man in the story, that our focus is very similar to the man in the story? Friends, the value of our lives is so much more than the sum of our possessions and accomplishments. It is our impact for Christ. I'll say it again. The value of our lives, the sum of who we are, is so much more than our earthly possessions and successes. It is the impact we can have for Christ. Look at this in verse 20. But God said to him, one of the scariest passages we'll come across in Scripture. And there's many that Jesus said, but look at this. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life is demanded of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? Those are the words that you don't expect God to say. The words that you don't want God to say, you fool. What a waste. Those are God's word to this man who in society's perspective, if we look around the world, is how majority of living and Jesus' response was, you fool. God says, you're not even going to have an opportunity. Look at what he says. You fool, this very night your life is demanded of you. The things you've prepared, whose will they be? You're not even going to have an opportunity to enjoy your retirement because tonight is the night I've marked out for your life to end. You might have expected it to be a long, easy retirement, and this is what you've worked towards. But the God who knows the exact day that we're going to die, the God who knew us and formed us and created us in our mother's womb, he's mapped out and he says to this man, all of your focus has been absolutely 
meaningless. All of it is in vain. But God, wasn't I being wise? I can imagine this rich man saying this, but God, wasn't I being wise? I mean, I was just exercising financial wisdom. You've given me gifts and abilities. I'm clearly good at business. I'm good at what I do. And I've been putting them to use. I've been storing up an inheritance for my kids and for future generations. Possibly. The man could have been wise and you could be being wise as well. We do need to be excellent stewards of what God has given us. And there is no problem at all with enjoyment and enjoyment in life and thinking about future generations. There's nothing wrong with that. But we must not mix the wisdom of the world with God's wisdom. We need to ask him for his wisdom. And that may well be foolishness in the eyes of society. It could be. What he asks you to do with your possessions and your material things and your savings could be absolutely opposite to what society would say. But it would be wisdom in his eyes. The God who sees our hearts, the God who sees what's really going on inside, knows whether he is king of our heart or whether our material possessions are. And so we need to be very careful. We need to be brutally honest with ourselves because one day... I don't want it to happen to myself. I don't want it to happen to you. The last thing I want to happen is to God to say, you fool, because you've wasted the opportunities that you had on earth. A few weeks ago in homeschool, my wife, Sarah, was doing the wonders of the world, uh, the natural and the man-made wonders of the world. We were looking at the pyramids, and then we were looking at the tombs of the different rulers of Egypt and Tutankhamun, or however you say it, we looked at. And uh, he, he died at the age of 19. And actually, there's not much to say about him doing anything uh, incredible or anything amazing, except for when in 1922, his tomb and his treasures were discovered by Carter. Suddenly, he was launched into the history books for this incredible, incredible treasure that was left behind. Inside his tomb was found a total of 5,398 objects, almost all of them covered with gold or made of gold, worth millions and millions and millions of dollars of wealth value. Now, why? Well, the ancient Egyptians, they believed that if they protected their bodies, so if they mummified them and protected them properly, preserved them properly, and if they put all of those things around with them, they got to use that in the afterlife. So he was acting out perfectly in line with his belief where he was getting everything he could, the most amazing of everything, mummifying the body perfectly so that according to his belief, he could enjoy that in the afterlife. He was being incredibly wise according to his belief system. Question, why do we often prepare for the afterlife as if we were ancient Egyptians? Our focus can so often be dominated by earthly success and gain that it's as though we believe we can take all our gain with us into eternity. We can so often operate like ancient Egyptians, even if we say that we are Christ followers. And in fact, whether you're a Christ follower listening or not, we know that when we die, our bodies are either cremated or they're put into the ground to decay. But we all know that our possessions and everything we have on earth has no value beyond the grave. But why do we often live and operate like ancient Egyptians? What does God say in verse 21? He says, That is how it is with the one who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. You see, Jesus explains how our wealth and possessions can be of eternal value. He explains that in the last bit of the preach, it's going to be slightly longer than other messages, but the last bit is on how do we ensure 
that we are rich towards God so that we aren't fools and that our lives on earth are not in vain. Well, what does it mean to be rich towards God? It's an interesting phrase. What does it mean to live rich towards God? It means generosity towards the things of the kingdom. It means our first port of call is how God can use our resources before we personally can use our resources. It's the difference between us seeing ourselves as stewards or caretakers of the possessions and wealth that we have versus owners. And there's a big difference. If we see everything that we have as God being the owner and us being a steward of it, we'll treat it very different compared to whether we believe we're the owners of it and it is for ourselves. Being rich towards God means that the focus of our lives is to glorify and magnify Him rather than have a focus on ourselves and our earthly enjoyment. As a result, what we're going to do is we'll invest in places where we can make an eternal difference. And you see, disciples of Christ should naturally prioritize everything around Christ. We should naturally prioritize our resources and possessions around the person that we follow Christ. We want to prioritize our things towards what will reap an eternal benefit, a true benefit of lasting value, the inexhaustible heavenly investment scheme, the safest one of all time. And this applies to us whether we have lots of material wealth or not at all, because God isn't interested in the value, right? He's not interested in the value amount. Look at that story in scripture about the widow who put in just a few coins compared to the Pharisees who put in a lot. What Jesus got across in that story is he said, you know, this lady, she's actually given far more. She's invested in eternity far more than these people. So your, your few dollars or your little bit of bond could actually mean a huge amount more than someone putting in 10,000 if in your heart it's given with a, with a heart's desire um, out of generosity of being invested in God's purposes. So how should we live? How do we live rich towards Christ and His kingdom, whether we have much or little? And Jesus gives us some really clear answers in the next little bit that we're going to read, and then I'm going to close on the back of it. So he now goes into it, and maybe for some of your Bibles, it might say the cure for anxiety. Maybe many people are living anxious here, whether you've got lots or little. Others may have different descriptions. But this is how he answers. And we're going we're gonna to look at just a few points on the back of that. He says to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat, or about the body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. He's already explained it, but we need to know and we need to believe that true life, real life, is found in something far more than the material. It's found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. We can live worry and anxiety free. Whether we have much or little, we can live worry and anxiety free when it comes to material provision because we know there's something of far greater value that we have in Christ. So if you're feeling anxious today, anxious because you've got so much to worry and, and, and have control over or anxious because you feel you have little, I wanna ask you today, what is the root of your anxiety? What is the root? And almost always, it'll be a sense of you feeling you're in control of your life versus God. And possibly, there could also be a deep nudge towards a sense of identity. Maybe you're just feeling because you don't have what others have, you aren't as valuable. But when Christ is truly on the throne of your life, anxiety will begin to fade. You see, our worries reveal the object of our worship. I'll say that again. Our worries reveal the object of our worship then Jesus goes on 
He says, consider the ravens. They don't sow or reap. They don't have storeroom or a barn, yet God feeds them. Aren't you much more uh, worth much more than the birds? Can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? If then you're not able to do even a little thing, why worry about the rest? Consider how the wildflowers grow. They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass, which is in the field today and is thrown into the furnace tomorrow, how much more will he do for you, you of little faith? We serve a God who cares deeply about every aspect of your life and mine, including the ravens who were considered unclean animals and the wildflowers, which would have grown in the fields and would have got cleared as grass was getting cleared for field, uh, for field um, preparation and thrown into the furnace. Kind of the most worthless things. And Jesus is very clear to say, God cares about these things. So you've got to know he cares about you who he knit together in your mother's womb on a much deeper level. Thirdly, we serve a God who has mapped out our lives and created us with a unique purpose in mind. He says, you know, worrying is not going to add a single day to your life. What's he getting across in that process? He's saying, I'm in control of the length of your days, Craig, and everyone else tuning in. I've mapped it out. I know the purpose I've created you for. So don't worry and don't stress. If you follow me and serve me, I will give you everything you need to achieve exactly what I've asked you to do. It'll be different for different people. We're running different races, but he will give you and I as a loving heavenly dad, everything we need to fulfill what he has called us to. Tomorrow is not guaranteed. So let's make the most for today of his kingdom. Let's make the most today. Number four, um, number four, don't strive desperately. Look at what it says in, in 29. Don't strive for what you should eat and what you should drink and don't be anxious. For the Gentile world, that means the unbelieving world, would eagerly seek all these things, but your father knows that you need them. So if you either have much or you don't have a lot, he's saying don't strive crazily and desperately, working wild hours, early morning, late nights, hardly sleeping, hardly seeing your family. Don't do that. Don't trust in your own strength, but be faithful, put in the work, Give a full day's work to the Lord. Ask him for wisdom. Put in everything you can with the gifts and abilities that he's given you and leave the rest up to him. Walk in his ways and leave the rest up to him. Number five, it said there about for the Gentile world eagerly seeks after these things. As Christ follows, we need to look very different to the society that we live in who don't follow Christ. When it comes to Christ followers, it should be very evident to people we come into contact with, to friends, to other business leaders who we come into contact with. It should be very different that the focus of our hearts when it comes to our material wealth and our possessions is very different to theirs. It should be evident to those who are not Christ followers. They should see it in how we do business and what we care about when it comes to our business. They should see it in the purposes of our business. They should see it in how we, how we spend the resources that we have about what we care about. You see, it says non-believers who aren't Christ followers, they seek after these things. They seek after material possessions. That is the focus. That's what they're living for. But we're different. We're living for another king and another kingdom and we're storing up treasure in another world. If we've truly moved from darkness to light, then our desires and our focus should be different. So that's where Jesus says, so as I close off, he says here, but seek first his kingdom and these things will be 
provided for you. Don't be afraid, little flock, because your father delights to give you the kingdom. So seek the kingdom, seek him, seek what matters most, and he'll take care of the rest. Don't you love that phrase? Our heavenly father delights to give us the kingdom. But this is what's so, what's so interesting. He doesn't say he delights to give us money or he delights to give us everything we want. He delights to give us the kingdom. But what does that mean? What does the kingdom mean? What is God getting at when he says that? See, the kingdom is much more than wealth. The kingdom is God's rule and reign in our lives and beyond. Now, in heaven, it'll be a complete rule of his kingdom in our hearts and and in, all, in, in heaven for all eternity. And on earth, we live in the now and not yet. So we'll see parts of his kingdom in operation and parts of it in our lives. We want it to be as much as possible, even with sin in our lives. But it's the ability to walk in the Lord's presence and purpose every day. It's to have a taste of what heaven is like going about our day today. Won't be perfect, but it will be a taste to wet our lips for eternity. I've met some of the wealthiest people in the world who not in the world, but I met some very wealthy people who have a very purposeless life, even though they might be Christ followers. And I've met some of the poorest people in the world who have so much joy and excitement for God's kingdom. It kind of seems unbelievable. That is the kingdom in true life in Christ. It's far greater than any material possession. And that's why if you read Paul's words, if you read the early followers, which I shared a bit on a few weeks ago, they just walked to a different beat. They had abundant joy regardless of possessions. They lived for a different world. They lived the kingdom life. Look at Christ and the early followers. Then you see life in the kingdom. The final challenge as I close, this is what Jesus says. If you want to keep me on the throne, if you want to make sure money doesn't have the, the wrong hold on you, this is what he says. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Make money bags for yourselves that won't grow old an inexhaustible treasure in heaven where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What a powerful challenge. What's he saying? He's saying invest in the kingdom, get radically generous. Defeat the God of money in your life. Don't let it have a hold on you. See your wealth as a loan from God. See yourself as a steward, as a caretaker of that wealth and put it to the best use possible for the owner. How can you put it into heavenly investments for all eternity? Because if we really believe eternity is as real as earth and it's forever, that is the best and wisest place to invest. It's more real than earth, friends, and I don't want to see you suffering loss of the reward you could have got for all eternity. What is he, why does he say about the poor? Why does he sell and give to the poor? Well, a heart for the poor is a key gauge when it comes to investing in eternity. Why? Because the poor can't give anything back to us. We don't get any props or status from giving to the poor. May not even get noticed, but they can't give back. They're likely to be struggling more than us. So it's likely to make us feel a little bit uncomfortable. But our possessions have the potential of showing them tremendously the love of Christ and leading them to salvation. And so the poor are so close to Jesus' heart. That's why we care so much about the orphans and vulnerable. The poor are so close to his heart and we have a role with our resources to help. Then he closes off. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where you store what you have 
is where your heart really is. If you store what you have primarily on earth, it's where your heart is. If you store where you, what you have primarily in heavenly investments, it's where your heart is. And I just say, I'm going to pray for it just now. Lord, please help me to live like that. I struggle in this. Lord, please help me to live radically generous. Please help us to be radically generous for the sake of people who need to know Christ. If you invest in eternity, your passion will be Christ. If you invest primarily in earth, your passion will be yourself, your success and comfort. So place your treasure in the wisest investment house. Jesus is being so clear in this challenge. He's saying if your heart, your desires, your convictions, your focus is earth, you need to take a good look at your relationship with Christ. Because one of the key indicators of being disciples of Christ is that our focus is on Christ, on His kingdom, and how we can use everything that we have to see His kingdom advance. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come across these tough passages. We've had the most amazing picture given to us in Zimbabwe. A difficult picture, but a real and raw picture of what actually is going to happen to all of us when we move from this life into eternity, where we can't take anything with us. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would save us from building up bonds and bigger bonds and focusing on this long and comfortable eat, drink and be merry, early retirement, when we can put our resources, which are actually yours, we're just stewards, they're all yours, to immense youth, use during our times on earth to advance your kingdom and to build heavenly reward. Father, please challenge us, get through our hard interiors, get through our hard hearts, may our ears be open to you. I pray that we would be soft, that the changes we need to make, hey, I, I even really believe that as you're listening here today, God's gonna put on your heart things you need to do with your wealth and possessions for his kingdom. He's gonna show you. Some will be easy, some will, will be hard, but he's gonna show you what you don't need. He's gonna show you what you have that can be used for his kingdom. He's gonna challenge you. He's gonna instruct you. He's gonna change some of your budgeting. The Holy Spirit right now is gonna change some of your focuses and, and where you save and how you save. I think he's gonna lead some of you to, to set things up, maybe to set up ministries, to maybe set up places that will, will help in his kingdom. I think God's going to unlock things now and the Holy Spirit's going to be doing it now. Some of you who have been relying on God for, um, or, or sorry, relying on yourselves and have been anxious and have been, been struggling. Right now, God's going to free you of that as you see Him as your provider. Some of you who've never thought you've had a lot, He's going to show you that actually you have so much. You have abundant life in Him. The Holy Spirit's working right now and, and, and just be listening. Let Him speak to you. Don't let this moment pass. Speak about it with your family. Speak about it as husbands and wives. Speak about it with your business colleagues if they're Christians, but, but, but challenge each other. Maybe you need to set up some business groups and say, say God, each week we want to chat and we want to be good stewards of, of what you've given us to look after. But don't let this pass. Don't waste the short opportunity we have on earth to use our resources for that which will have an eternal impact. So please challenge us in these moments. In your powerful name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Thanks so much for being with us. I know that that was longer, but I, I just really felt it was on my heart for each of us. And uh, we'll let you know more about Orphan Sunday and what we're doing and how you can help more uh, men's prayer, 5.30 on Tuesday. Um, and, and, and just thanks for being part of the family. What a privilege to be part of God's family. A smaller family is Harvest, larger family is the church in Zim, larger family is God's global church as we continue to see His kingdom advance 
in Zimbabwe and beyond. Have a brilliant Sunday. We look forward to seeing you soon.